At Psalm 73, it's um, a, a psalm by Asaph. Asaph was um, Callie and Ryan, John Abel, Shane and Shane. He was a worship leader. That's, that's who Asaph was. And Psalm 73 is a psalm that was written um, by him one day when he was uh, not a psalm of David, a psalm of the worship leader. And it was written by him as he reflected back on what happened to his heart one day. He, he left his um, home and um, was making his way to work, which for a worship leader was in the temple. And on the way to the temple, he passed by Sadducees, Pharisees, uh, publicans, people that did not walk with God, didn't mock, uh, didn't mock God with their actions, people that um, didn't attend to temple worship. And he saw that they were doing pretty well and that they paraded their tongues against the earth. They were fine if people wanted to superstitiously go to the Temple Mountain and have some moments of worship. But by and large, um, Asaph just saw them doing pretty well, and he wondered. He goes, this is crazy. And that little section where it just says, surely in vain do I worship the Lord and have I washed myself in every way that um, if there is a God, you should. And then something happens as a pivot point there in Psalm 73 that, that, that changed him. He, he got to the temple and, um, and, and he reflected on what happens there. He, he just says, um, if, if he said, if he said, if I had spoken thus to the people, he's really in verses one through 14, the first part that frankly, probably when you were reading, you're like, wow, am I, am I reading this correctly? You know, because it just looks like there's people out there that mock God and get away with it. And Asaph said, if I had spoken this, if I had use this as a message in the temple, I would have betrayed the generation of your children if I'd have told them that, hey, it's crazy that we're, we're church people, Christians. You know, to him, it would have been people of God, part of the Hebrew faithful. And he said, when I pondered to understand why the wicked prosper right now, he said, it was troublesome in my sight. And then verse 17 says, until I came into the sanctuary of God, and then I perceived their end. Because what, what did he see when he got to the sanctuary of God? He saw the burnt offerings. He saw the temple sacrifices. He was reminded of what the Levitical priesthood was doing, that they were offering bulls and goats as a means through which God, during that day and age, through his gracious provision, was overlooking the sins of men until a final sacrifice would come. And he knew that God did not wink his eye at sin. He knew that by no means will the guilty go unpunished, and that God, in his grace, was letting Asaph and righteous people in the land declare to them about the true character and nature of God and that it was going to go well with them if they sought him. And the wicked in the land were basically allowing themselves to um, enjoy God's gracious provision to the nation, his protection to the nation, and his just general grace to all mankind. But Asaph said, it's not going to work out that way for long for them. Now, sadly, what happened is the wickedness increased in Israel and the entire nation lost the covering of God's protection, eventually being hauled out, losing their national identity, becoming, again, soldiers in a foreign land until God brought them to their knees. They remembered they were children of God. He returned them to the land. They began their worship one more time, only to pervert it again, until finally Jesus himself shows up, and he then becomes the perfect sacrifice and shows the seriousness with which God takes sin. 
Because bulls and goats can't take away the sins of the world. Only the perfect lamb of God can. And then Christ comes and offers himself. And then watch this. Even after that, God doesn't consume the earth in judgment. But he is patient toward you. And he's left a group of us here post-temple sacrifice, post-perfect lamb of God's sacrifice, so that we would be about the business of God. We could remember how much God loves us, how amazing his grace is, and when we say, I need you, he goes, I got you. But then he's going to say, while you're here, I didn't just save you from judgment, I saved you for I didn't just save you from judgment. I saved you for the purpose of not being deceived by the wicked. I saved you for the wicked. I'm leaving you on this earth, which has some of my grace on it for sure, some of my goodness and protection on it for sure. But there's also a lot of sadness here. And in that sadness, I want people to realize it's because this world is not as it should be. And you tell them that I'm going to make the world right. But when I make it right, I've got to remove sin. And if there are people who have not had sin removed from them, then they will surely meet their end. One follower of Jesus, one, one individual who studied this psalm at one point said, it's a pitiful thing that an heir of heaven should confess that I was envious of anything. Think about that. You've been given everything. And it's a pitiful thing that... that some heir of God would ever say, I was envious, but worse still that he should put to an end of that statement, I was envious, I was envious at the fool. I was envious at the wicked. I was envious at the rebel against God. The scripture knows that that is our tendency. And so again and again and again, it reminds us, this is Psalm Psalm 37. This is a Psalm of David. Psalm 37 says, do not fret because of evildoers. Don't be envious of wrongdoers. For just like Asaph was reminded when he saw that God was going to judge wickedness, um, David wrote, for they will wither like the grass and they will fade like the green herb. They're not going to be around long. Let the Texas heat go to work. It will fade. Let the rising sun of the righteousness of God go to work. They will be consumed. David says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. See, we're not just saved from the judgment because here's the truth. All of us are wicked, right? All of us have gone astray. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him, on Jesus, so that we might find the grace of God in him. That's why we're in here singing that we're child of God, we're heirs of heaven. We're overwhelmed that even though we say we adore him and then live, live in ways that just aren't consistent with his kindness and his will, he just says, okay, come home. Come home, and when you come home, I want you to remind yourself of the goodness of who I am. I'm not gonna take my spirit from you, but you've got to let my spirit lead you. Don't participate with the deeds of the wicked. Love the wicked with a reminder of who I am. Live holy lives, separated lives, not, not geographically, not in your little holy huddles, but live in their midst as if you know something they don't know, that God is good. He's not ripping us off. He's come to set us free. His way is a better way. Fidelity 
and kindness and generosity and self-sacrifice. It is a better way. It's where life is. And declare to them the spirit of God, which has shown you that better way and enables you to walk in that better way and tell them to repent. See, church, it's not just that we're here to remind ourselves, and we should, of what we're saved from, but we are here to remind ourselves, having been saved from judgment, that we would be about his business for what we're saved for. So that this nation that we live in wouldn't have wickedness continue to rise until God takes whatever general grace and protection is on us, and surely there's some, or we'd all be speaking Chinese already. but that we would continue to be individuals that call them back to repentance and don't just sing God bless America. They do the things that God says we should do that would lead to blessing. Scripture says, listen, it's when you delight yourself in the Lord and follow his good way that he gives you what your heart desires. It doesn't mean everything you want. It just means you were designed for relationship with God. You were designed to live righteously. You were designed for fellowship. Sin separates our fellowship. Sin does not make us live rightly. It makes us live wrongly. It causes war and divorce and sadness and infidelity and people using greed, attaching our hearts to material things which never satisfy. But no, when you delight in Jesus and you seek his way, you're going to find there only what you can find there. So commit your works to the Lord, verse 5 says. Trust in him and he will do it. He will bring the peace. Did you all see what happened in that little deal we did? We said we know we're children of God. We know that the resurrection, you know, just affirms who he is and what he's done. And yet the anxiety that still rules us, something's just not right. It tells me that we're being influenced more by the way of the world than the God that says, peace. And so like all around you are people that their lights went up. All around you are brothers and sisters in Christ that need encouragement, right? Here's what's funny is when the room is dark and we can do this, we sometimes go, yeah, I'm sometimes anxious. Yeah, sometimes I'm, I'm hurting. And what God calls us to do is to live in the light. What God calls us to do is to turn to brothers and sisters and go, hey, the scripture says that I am to be encouraged day after day so that my heart isn't you know, deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. And that's why we live in communities where we are regularly, day by day, day by day, literally encouraging one another and saying, man, how are you doing today? Where, where are you tempted to be beaten down by the burdens that are in this world? Let me remind you of things that are true about what God has said. Let's meditate on who we are. Let's face these troubles that are in this world that God said would come because we're not home yet and he's left us here for a reason. Let's strengthen each other's hearts by reminding each other things that are true. If you're not having that, and all you gotta do is wait for a time where in the dark you can hold your light up, and you're not living in the light that God intends for you. It's why we are constantly calling you to connect here. Not to watermark, because I don't care about watermark. I just don't accept that it's the place it's the place that God has allowed my family to, to be a part where I can be encouraged. And it's the place, that look, at least today, that you're here. 
Find a body, find a place that you are underneath spiritual leadership that takes God's word seriously, where you make yourself accountable, where you're a member of the body so the brain and the mouth can say, hey, there's trouble there, let's tend to it. And so many of us are wondering where God is, and the answer is he's where God said he would be, in his people who do what he asked them to do. And so it's why we encourage you to not just attend services, but to be a part of the body of Christ so that you can do what you were saved for and so that you can find the comfort that God intends for you to find in the grace of his word, his spirit, and his fellowship. And so we want to invite you into that. When you came, we gave you a watermark news. There's a perforated section there. You can fill that thing out. You can just say, you know what? I'm not connected to the body. It's just, I'm trying to say it's just me and Jesus. Because isn't Jesus enough? Yes, Jesus is enough. But Jesus has told you his enoughness happens when you connect to his people. Who yield to his spirit, confess their sins to one another, and live in the light. Come. I want to remind those of you that are already in community that you should be almost day by day not every other week on Wednesday, day by day encouraging each other, day by day letting each other know, hey, this is how I'm feeding my soul. This is what God's teaching me. My community sitting right down there with me. I got a text this morning. They were in Jonah chapter one. And they said, this is how I'm feeding my soul today. This is what I've been reminded of today. We, met, we gather together. I'll be with them tomorrow morning while it's still dark. And we'll talk about how we've been feeding our flesh in a way that's not healthy and we'll sharpen and we'll admonish and we'll encourage and we'll pray and heal for one another, pray healing for one another. And then we'll talk about, hey, how are we doing? What did we do this week? And how we fed others, right? Those questions are in the community group app every week. How are you feeding your soul? Hey, how have you fed your flesh? Let's rejoice in how we have been saved from sin, but we've been saved for a reason. So how have you fed others? How this week have you been a means of grace, not distracted and envious towards the wicked, but sharing the hope that you have. Man, I had amazing conversations this week with several people that were far from God that I just built relationships with. I had a chance to tell them about the kindness of God, the truth of the story that was revealed in Scripture, the hope that I have, and the love of God for them. Ongoing relationships that now I'll have you know, through email and text and phone calls because some of them were out of town and then others that I live with right here in the city. How'd you do, church? In living how you were saved for. We have a great God and God is alive. That means he's doing miracles all the time, all around us. Some of them happen right here. Here's one of them. I was running for my life. I'd been strung out on crystal meth for about five days. I couldn't tell reality from my paranoia. I was running recklessly through traffic. My brother warned me this ice, this crystal meth was no joke. My addiction was horrific. Now I was out of my mind. I ended up on Harry Hines and I pulled a taxi driver out of his vehicle. I wrecked it into a creek 
and I ran back out onto the freeway only to pull two more victims out of their vehicles, wrecked those two vehicles, and cops surrounded me from every direction only to find myself facing down at the asphalt, praying for mercy from a God that I didn't know. What a way to celebrate my 26th birthday. They put me into solitary confinement. I remember thinking to myself, man, my life's over. The courts ended up sentencing me to six months intensive rehabilitation. But while I was in jail, a guy named Santiago Moises approached me. He'd been with the Mexican Mafia and he was sleeved up on both arms. He asked me, hey, what do you, uh, what do you know about Jesus? And he started reading to me uh, from the Bible. And he started sharing the gospel with me in a way that I'd never heard it before. And I remember as we had these conversations, um, there just being this supernatural peace that came over me. And I remember in these moments thinking to myself, man, I don't know what he's got, but, uh, but I want that. At six years old, I was molested. We lived in a small compound or small community in Mexico. My dad, I felt very resentful toward him uh, because as I saw it, he wasn't there, you know, to protect me from what had happened. My dad did the best that he could, but he struggled with anger. He was borderline abusive. I felt lost and like I had no sense of value. So I learned while I was in jail, salvation is a gift, that there's nothing that I could do to earn my salvation. Past, present, and future sins, they had all been paid for. It was recognizing the true meaning of grace, and that is receiving something that I didn't deserve, staying sober or completing the court's requirements. None of that happened by my own efforts. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I started attending the porch, and I met some guys there that started discipling me. And it taught me how to uh, filter everything through God's Word. It taught me how to meditate on God's Word. These guys taught me how to pray. Things just started changing, and it was all because of the community uh, that had come around me. It was all because of the Word that uh, was just transforming my heart. As I started growing in my relationship with God, it became very clear to me that I needed to forgive my dad for the hurt and bitterness I had been storing up against him. Is that you right there? That's me. That does not even look like you in that I picture. Know. And that was, if not the last one of the last pictures I took with my dad. In 2014, I'd gotten news that my father had been diagnosed with uh, stage four colon cancer. And I'd shared the gospel with him on numerous accounts and him just kind of being bitter and, and just angry, you know. As his condition worsened, um, I nearly gave up on him. And one day he 
just broke down. He said that he was afraid, that he didn't know if he would ever see us again, and he opened up, and I, uh, I got to walk him through the sinner's prayer, and uh, he accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior right then and there. As I looked up, uh, this weary frame of a man, I remember seeing a smile on his face from ear to ear, and it was like he was finally free. It was like this weight had been lifted off of his shoulders and he was glowing and I remember him looking back at me with full confidence. And during that last six months, I got to see a transformation in my father that was beautiful to witness. This man that was so heavy laden, and so bitter, would come to accept Christ as his Lord and Savior. I truly find it amazing that God would use my time in jail to save my life, and then use the Church of Watermark to show me how to love Him, to teach me how to be a follower of Christ, and to forgive others. My relationship with my dad was reconciled. My dad chose to follow Christ, and I get to live free of the things that enslaved me. Not a moment of my pain was wasted. That's true if you've acknowledged that you've been a child of wrath, part of the sons of disobedience. That there is a necessary payment for sin. And you cried out, oh God, mercy, mercy, please. And you see that mercy was not given through bulls and goats, but it was given through the Lamb of God who life was offered for you and you said, that's not just a story, that is my savior that was on that cross, that was my sin that he paid for. And then you, you, you justify that you really meant that by the way that you then seek him and walk with him and cling to this good God that has delivered you. And you don't just talk about what God has done to save you from something, you start living for him because his spirit lives in you. Then you're a child of God. Then you're a child of God. And there's not a single Edwin in this room, face down in the concrete, thinking your life is over. That can't become a child of God. But don't give him lip service, gang. Don't just go through the motions. Don't just say, I adore you, and then go and adore yourself and live your own life. No, Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We are not professors. We are not church gatherers. We are followers of Jesus, children of God, who say Christ died for me, therefore I live for him. Our country needs men and women who are children of God. Your neighbor needs it. Your fellow believers need it. Listen, it wasn't that long ago we sat in this room and we just all confessed our sins, right? And we realized that even though we sinned against God alone, if we sinned, we acknowledge that maybe there's some work to do with people that are here with us. And so don't, don't forget that. That hand you grabbed and squeezed, go to work right now. It wasn't long ago when we sat next to people who were anxious, who were burdened by life's trouble, who, who need to be encouraged. Listen, 
every single person in this room, in just a second when the lights come on, you are part of the kingdom of priests if you're a child of God. If you're not, would you come here? I would love to tell you how you can be. Would you take that perforated section and check that box? And just say, I want to know this God that you all just sang about. And man, if those words are true, you want to know him. But if you know him, you are saved right now to be the church with one another. And so before we scatter out of here, turn and face one another. Go, have you been here? Are you connected? Are you part of this body? How can I serve you? How can I give you my testimony that this is where God's at work in me? Just like Eric grabbed Edwin in 2012, can I grab you today? Can I disciple you today? Can I pull you into my community today? Can I walk you to the Welcome Center today? How can I serve you? Because I'm a child of God and this is my home. That's church, amen? <laughs> we don't want you to come to Watermark. We want you to be God's people. I want you to know God loves you. And when you know that, you can't help but tell other people that God loves them. Come if you don't know him. Have a great week of worship if you do. God bless you.